Welcome back, Minnesota, to the Sue Jeffers Show. Thank you for listening. I'm John Gilmore sitting in for Sue. That was quite a first hour, Stan. Thanks for all of your help. Not a problem. Yeah, that's always, always good to get you fired up. I like that side of you. Yes, it's slightly frightening to be me fired up, but that's another story. We've got a very special guest, uh, one of my favorite people in the Twin Cities, but there are a lot of them at the Center of the American Experiment. They do invaluable work on serious, thoughtful policy issues, and those issues have a large effect in our lives. This isn't uh, something attenuated and abstract. The Center of the American Experiment is a singular resource. If it went away, ladies and gentlemen, I, I have no idea how we could even partially replace it uh, because they do occupy a place that they have made their own and they have done so uh, over many years. So if you ever want to get informed about important issues that affect you as well as the nation, you can find them online at the Center of the American Experiment. I'm delighted to be welcoming back to the Sue Jeffers Show as a guest host, Kim Crockett, who is with the Center of the American Experiment. She is a vice president and senior policy fellow there, and she's going to be talking to us about a very important Supreme Court decision that likely will be handed down next week. Kim Crockett, you're on the Sue Jeffers Show. Hi, John Gilmore. How are you? Depends on who you ask. I guess I missed some fireworks, huh? Well, I, yes, I guess you did. Count yourself lucky. I, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, no, I no, it's enjoyed it. Yeah, well, it's uh, the podcast will be available. You can you can uh, <laughs> you can listen to that first hour with an adult beverage in your hand and just shake your head at the dumbest Republicans right, in the nation. Right. Kim, you well, are I'm you are a bit at your introduction. You're very kind. Uh, I know. I tell you, people you don't know, think that. Been around for almost thirty years mm-hmm. now. Right, and, that's great. And I will tell you, we work very hard. And we all love Minnesota. And the reason why we work so hard is that we'd like to stay. <laughs> You'd like make to it safe. <laughs> make it safe for all Minnesotans, but uh, make it prosperous and, um, you know, a, a place that people like you and I can be without tearing our hair out. Right, and we're getting there. We're well, making we're making some progress. No, I think that's right. I I, I think it's easy to get overwhelmed. Um, I I think people, just generally speaking, center right, are astonished at the vitriol and hatred unleashed by the left, uh, which continues to be unleashed daily, given the election of Donald Trump. I know for our side, we get disappointed when McCain lost. And we got really disappointed when um, Mitt Romney couldn't do the job. It's like, dang it. But we don't seek to pull apart things at the seams. But that that's a topic right. for another day, Kim. I'd, I'd like you to right. tell uh, Sue Jeffers listeners about the Janus case. If memory serves, you were present in the Supreme Court during oral argument. And this is a case that deals... With union dues, with mandatory union dues, but it also has uh, wider ramifications should we get the desired and hoped for outcome. What, in a sentence or two, Kim Crockett, is the Janus case about? 
Well, Janice versus AFSCME uh, is a case brought by a sta uh, state employee from Illinois named Mark Janice. He's a great guy. I've gotten to know him. Um, he is a child care specialist. And like all public employees in, in states that don't have right-to-work laws, uh, in other words, states uh, like Illinois and Minnesota that enforce what's called an agency shop or a union security clause, Mark and all public employees in Minnesota are forced to pay an agency fee in order to keep their job. What does that mean? It means that all of our teachers and cops and MnDOT workers and public social workers must pay about 85% of union dues to the to the union in their in their workplace um, to keep their job. And um, what what is the issue? Know, what what's the issue before the Supreme Court right now that we're waiting right. for, Kim? You're so smart, John. You asked all the right questions. The legal issue, the legal argument that Mr. Janice is making is that by forcing him to pay that fee in order to keep his job, his First Amendment rights are being violated. And, and you know, we've lived with the agency shop for so long that we've lost sight of the simplicity of that assertion. If you think about it, Collective bargaining, even when properly uh, charged for and conducted, affects taxes, spending, and the policies of our government. Right. right. So there really isn't any separation between, pro you know, mm -hmm. chargeable fees mm -hmm. for collective bargaining and political fees. Right. And back in 1977, the court tried to split those two as though somehow they could be separated. And the folly of that decision, well, about 41 years ago in a case called Abood, Mr. Abood was a school teacher from Michigan. Who and, and that's likely to be argument. Yeah, and that's likely to be overruled if the court buys yes. the plaintiff's argument in the Janus decision. Is that correct? If we win Janice, and I mean we, meaning people who believe in the First Amendment mm -hmm. and not forcing people to speak or associate, that means that the court will overrule Abood, it will overrule itself and say we made a terrible mistake back in 1977. And we will restore the First Amendment rights of all public employees. At this time, uh, John, there are 22 states that do not have right-to-work laws to protect public employees. Right. Minnesota is one of them. Yep. Now, Kim, isn't it the case that uh, this legal issue in a slightly different iteration was pending before the Supreme Court when disaster struck and Justice Antonin Scalia had the nerve to die on us? I still, still a little <laughs> mad at that guy. It's just, you oh know, he went out happy, him, though, too. right? Found dead in bed after, oh. you know, a day's worth of hunting or something. God rest his soul. He and, loved he loved to hunt. Yeah. And, and he, um, yeah, it was a hunting weekend. And so now we have oh. Justice Gorsuch because, uh, yeah. thank you, Mitch McConnell, for not uh, being buffaloed uh, in Obama's yeah. last year and replacing that with uh, that seat and uh allowing the nomination of Merrick Garland to go forward. So now we have Neil Gorsuch, 
who, and this is an open secret, ladies and gentlemen, Sue Jeffers has a, a just a, you know, she's too old to have this kind of a crush on someone, no, but no, she she, I, she no, has I, the hot. Okay. Well, he's got something, ladies and gentlemen. He's got he's the hots, so or they have the hots for Justice him. Gorsuch. It'll be a fan have club. You read- have you read his opinions? I think we should start a fan club here. I think, you, yes. Can, there I you go. That's right. Well, um, the, the assumption he for... beautifully. Yes, he, he does. He writes very... Funny. Yes. He's very funny. Right. And very you, some, you very know, straightforward and uh, non-jargon. Got me off track no, I'm here to bring you back because we're running out of time. And I just want to I just want to uh, close on this. The expectation, Kim, is that Gorsuch will likely agree with where we thought Justice uh, the late Justice uh, Scalia yeah. was going so that we'll have a five four decision. Um, sometime. Know what the court's going to do. Yeah, that that's so that's the yeah. eternal caveat. Yeah, that's, that's our hope is that we get a 5-4 decision. It could be Monday this week. It could be actually any day. Okay. It will be, it will be by Friday. It will be by Friday Maybe next. If, and if okay. we win, it means that public employees will have the right to decide whether or not to, to transfer those funds to essentially the left. Uh, the DNC and the DFL, right. because that's yep. where all that. Yeah, money it's money goes. laundering. Yeah, it really is money it's, laundering. Yeah. Well, yeah, Kim Crockett, really thank you so much for sharing your observations about this very important issue. I'm certain that. Yeah, I'm certain when the uh, I'm certain when the issue uh, the decision comes down, you'll be writing at the center of the American experiment, and hopefully in other platforms as well. My guest has been Kim Crockett at the center of the American experiment. This is the Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore filling in. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and Twin Minnesota, love my way at the Sue Jeffers show. That musical bumper music, courtesy of Stan Poggle, who surprised and delighted me. I'm old enough to remember the psychedelic furs in their first incarnation. Good grief, where does the time go? I could have listened to that song all the way through, Stan, but I don't think that would be a wise programming choice because this is a talk show. And if you would like to talk on the talk show, talk to me at 651 989 5855. One more time with feeling. 651-989-5855. We continue to move along, having covered uh, a host of issues, uh, great and small, good and bad. Uh, I have to update listeners. This is a black pill, as we say. The red pill means that you have understood reality. It's taken from the matrix. And red pills, uh, not in the way that the left means woke, but the red pill means the mask has dropped and you see things for what they are, you see why things are done on a macro level, you see conditioning, you see propaganda, you see economic interest, you see things that have been previously um, occluded from view. It's not a matter of conspiracy theories in the slightest. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. Um, and a white pill is good news, and a black pill, 
Well, you can figure that one out. I've got a black pill for you, ladies and gentlemen. I understand that Jennifer Carnahan, uh, chair of the Republican Party, doing enormous damage, apparently has not found a shovel to keep digging out of her hole. She'll be with Esme Murphy tomorrow. I, I never watch local television. You lose brain cells, and no offense to the hardworking men and women who try to do a good job. Uh, Esme Murphy is a particularly biased reporter. She seems nice on Twitter. Um which is my metric for life itself. But, boy, uh, you're not going to do yourself a favor if you're a conservative uh, or even a squish Republican by going on there. Now, some people have no choice if you're running for governor or senator, mayors. Um, it's fairly obligatory. That's understandable. I don't know what Chair Carnahan is thinking by breathing more life into this story it seems of a piece with the extraordinarily bad judgment of posting this nonsense to Facebook in the first instance. Something tells me that we're not going to get the specific names, the specific identities of people who said what Jennifer Carnahan claims they said. And as the caller Jill said, release the emails. That's easily done. You can redact. We live in the age of redaction. You can redact anything personal by way of an email address or something, but you have the burden now, I think, Chair Carnahan, of proving that these actually exist and that they are as awful as you've represented. And I fear that by going on someone like Esme Murphy, she's going to try to have it both ways. You know, the the doe eyes, you know, Esme nodding and feelings and concern and I am woman, hear me roar, isn't this terrible? And and then you throw in racism because of uh, Jennifer Carnahan's uh, Korean cultural descent. Great country, Korea. Look what the emperor is doing there. That was something else that was remarkable in Duluth on last Wednesday when I went to attend the Trump rally. A week ago, he was trying to denuclearize the Korean peninsula. You know, a week and a day later, he's in Duluth, Minnesota, talking about things that matter to, uh, as he reminded us, his deplorables. Uh, that was received with, with great mirth because it will never go away. And uh, I'm afraid that Jennifer Carnahan is uh, tarnishing the, issue, the, uh, the image of Republicans in Minnesota, you think, Gilmore, and Republicans more broadly. I don't think she has the political skill, the political savvy to uh, understand exactly how damaging that is. Uh, I have found her to be excellent. In her public appearances, for example, on Almanac, this may come as a surprise to Jennifer, who thinks I'm her enemy. I'm not, Jennifer. I want you to succeed. I want her party to succeed. What you're doing is wrong. It's on the merits. If anybody else was doing it, I'd say the same thing. So it's not about you per se and your immutable characteristics. It's what the left does. We don't do identity politics because it destroys this country. We end up ghettoized, nothing in common, our own private identities, which we insist, have to take primacy over some more generalized good. Nations don't survive like that. Remember Yugoslavia? But it's true, and that's what cultural Marxism does. That's what the progressive identity uh, is all about. It's to balkanize us. It's to divide us. And, and what the chair has done so far has been deeply damaging and divisive. I feel like I've uh, beaten that horse to death.
So we'll have to see what new damage is wrecked upon the party when she sits down for an interview with Esme Murphy. I don't even know. Stan, what, what, do you know where Esme Murphy lives on TV? Is it WCCO? It's WCCO. Tells you how much I watch uh, local television. But somebody has to, and so I'm glad that uh, a listener sent me a text saying that Jennifer's going to appear. I'm assuming it's a Sunday morning show. I won't be setting my DVR. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about a couple of issues before our next guest at the bottom of the hour, uh, endorsed uh, endorsed candidate uh, Jeff Johnson. But first, let me interrupt myself because Michelle was calling. She has some comments about Jennifer Carnahan, and we'd like to hear them. Michelle, you're on the Sue Jeffers Show. Thank you for calling. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to add my thoughts that I find often that Ms. Carnahan makes up a lot of um, drama. Oftentimes she cannot produce factual evidence. This is not the first time she's claimed she's been attacked or victimizing herself. And I don't think it does the Republican Party any help when she victimizes herself. Can you share with us anything more about those other times that you're aware of? Uh, Well, I often find that these posts disappear after she posts them. Uh, One of the most strange posts I do recall several weeks ago, it sounded like she was resigning. A very vague post, and I didn't know who the audience was. Was it to her friends? Was it to Republicans on her personal page that she was so sorry if she had let anyone down? I mean, her post, this is supposed to be the leader of the Republican Party. And as a woman myself, I don't find her to be very strong. This is not who I want representing the party. In other words, you, f- you think that she makes it too much about herself and not enough about the party and what we should be able to do to maximize political opportunities? I, I, I do. I do. And no doubt this is a huge position. She's got a lot of pressure on herself. But of course. I think oftentimes you're right. She makes it more about herself. And I would like to see her – I would like a woman – to be a leader, to be strong, to not bring in the emotion of everything and to make it about herself. And then she gets her her comments, oh, we love you, Jennifer. It's almost as if she's seeking that um, that re- affirmation that she is a leader or whatnot. And, and, and we, we don't need that. We need to defeat the Democrats this November. And her constant uh, emotional posts on Facebook, you know, it's, there's just so many instances, and I, I apologize, I don't have any specifics, but that's one that comes to my mind. That was very bizarre. I thought she was going to resign. A lot of people did, if I recall. I thought I did. I mean, I, I recall thinking, geez, this is a, a goodbye note. Right, right. And I'm not, I don't want to attack her personally, but no, no one I does. Really no one is. She misleads the public when she will go on the, the media, and they don't really know behind the scenes a lot of drama that has taken place. There have been emails that I have read where she has attacked Republicans in this party and called them racist because they have disagreed with her. You know, we don't do that as conservatives. You don't play the race card. If someone disagrees with you, you don't fall back and say, oh, you're being racist. We we don't do that. There's been too many instances of this, and I I think it's a mistake to go on CCO. Why would you go on CCO? Nobody I know that's conservative even watches CCO. I think you made a good point that – we, we just don't want, we know that's a bias channel. Mm-hmm. So who is her audience and who is she speaking to when she goes on CCO? It doesn't, doesn't help the Republican base. Uh, I think it's a mistake to even go on. Yeah, I, I 
can't help but agree with you, Michelle. I think you're you're spot on with all of those comments. Um, you're right. Conservatives don't play the race card, the gender card, the sexual orientation card, whatever card is available. Really tired of cards. I think uh, Sue's audience is as well. We don't do that. And and when Jennifer pulled most of those cards on me, it remained a private matter. You know, I didn't take to Facebook and say, well, I offered general run-of-the-mill criticism of a hiring and firing decision having nothing to do with her ethnicity, her gender, nothing. And, of course, it was all transmuted into nothing but that. That seems to me to be a very dangerous uh, character, uh, quality rather, uh, in somebody who wants to lead the Republican Party. Um, Let me ask you what I asked Jill, the caller Jill, in the first hour, Michelle, uh, besides, I'm assuming, not going on uh, Esme Murphy tomorrow, what do you think she she can do to best um, remedy the damage that she has caused? You know, I'm not too sure because at this point it's been so far gone, and mm-hmm. at this point we should just really be focusing on, uh, she should be focusing on, hey, here's our candidates statewide, mm-hmm. just focusing on the quality of our candidates and spreading the message and getting that message out statewide because I think she has failed as the party chair to really engage the general public in this state. Trump nation that came out in 2016, because in January, what she should have been doing, my honest opinion is, she should have been telling everybody, hey, look at all these candidates. Get That's excited right. about them. Yep. Get out and go caucus. Look at caucus turnout, what the yep. low turnout was. Right. Those Trump supporters and those people that were excited, we, sh- we failed to keep them engaged. Right. And she failed there. We're so far gone long. Yep. And now we have candidates that you might be happy with or not, and we're, we're in the midst of yep. everything about to get heated up in November. That's right. That's right. Michelle, we're out of time, but I think I appreciate you so much for calling uh, into the Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore sitting in for Sue. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and com. Welcome back to the Sue Jeffers Show, Minnesota. I'm John Gilmore sitting in for Sue, who is helping a homeschool speech tournament and she will be back next week right now we have on line number something jeff johnson who is the republican endorsed candidate for governor he'll be squaring off august 14th in the minnesota state primary against former governor tim Pawlenty. jeff johnson welcome to the sue jeffers show thank you john thanks for having me on well my pleasure jeff what are you up to today would would parades be the answer that would be part of the answer. We did a parade in St. Cloud this morning, and now we're just heading back from one in Rochester, and we're going to our uh, campaign headquarters in Golden Valley where people have been calling, making phone calls for the last six hours, and they're going to do a little barbecue there. So it's been a good day. Well, that's great. Um, it was good to see you at the uh, Trump rally in Duluth. Yes. Um, I have a column coming out tomorrow uh, at alphanewsmn.com about that rally and my thoughts and experiences. But I do say, not to cannibalize it, but I do say that I ran into you uh, soaking wet from sweat because you were outside meeting, literally meeting and greeting hundreds of the thousands of people who could not get into the AMSOIL arena. Jeff Johnson, what was your feeling uh, what was that experience? What were you hearing from the people that you met, uh, whether they ultimately could get into the rally uh, or not? It, it was such an awesome day. We got there five hours before they, uh, before people really started 
filing into the Amsdale Arena. So we spent five hours first working the the line. Essentially, it was a you know a two mile line of about eight thousand people waiting to get in, and uh, talked to you know shook hands with most of them, and then talked to a bunch of the people who couldn't get in before I actually came in. And, uh, it, and the enthusiasm right now for both President Trump and for some change in Minnesota is just unbelievable. It is so different from anything I've seen before. And the excitement for people to get out there and work for campaigns, including mine, uh, it, was, it was really a great day. Well, I think you made the right decision uh, showing up. I, I regret that Governor Plenty tried to have it both ways. I don't think that uh, bodes well for the integrity of a campaign. Uh, let me put the question to you in a rather straightforward way. What is your pitch to Minnesota Republicans who will be voting in the primary on August 14th as to why they should support Jeff Johnson instead of your opponent? Well, I, I would say two things. Number one, I'm a stronger candidate, and if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be running. I, I think come November, if we choose a candidate who can talk about the future, if this is a referendum on my vision of the future versus the DFL slash socialist vision of the future, I truly believe we win. Kim, however, just has so much baggage, whether it's his eight years as governor, whether it's his comment, negative comments about Donald Trump, whether it's making $10 million as a lobbyist, for big banks, that election, if he's our candidate, is going to be a referendum on him, not on the future. And I just, I think we're going to have a terrible time winning that. I would also say I'm a stronger candidate because I can bring together the entire um, amalgam of Republicans, every faction of the party, including bringing in some of the new voters that Trump brought out. And Kim's not going to be able to do that. He called him unfit, uninformed, unhinged four weeks before the election and said he wouldn't support him. And unsound. You, you left out that. unsound. What's that? You left out unsound. And unsound. That's right. Thank you for adding that in. And, I, you know, and now he's saying, well, I support him, and, yeah, I voted for him. But I don't think that works. And I, if we can't get some of those new Trump voters to vote for us in November, I don't think we win. So mm -hmm. half of what I talk about is I'm a stronger candidate, and we have to win. The other half is I'm going to bring in just – fundamental change to government. We need to blow up the status quo. And Kim won't. We know that from his eight years. He'll tinker around the edges and try to make things a little more efficient. But if you're looking for real change, real dramatic change, especially in the attitude of government right now, I'm the only one who's going to bring that. Yeah, I think that's right, Jeff. And uh, for listeners who may not know, I support Jeff in the primary. Uh, and like Jeff, will abide by the results of the voters. I think that's how democracies are supposed to work. We're, we're a representative, Mr. Gilmore, but you people get my, my point, and I'm not speaking for Jeff, and if I am, he'll correct me on the record in real time on air because it's the excitement of live radio, ladies and gentlemen. You can do with this what you want, Jeff. It's probably really not a question, but I was I was struck by those caps that were generated by the Palenti campaign uh, and which Lieutenant Governor Michelle Fischbach forced into the president's hand. And on the front of them, it says, make mining great again. And I hadn't, I when I got to Duluth, I knew about them in advance. And then when I got to Duluth, I saw that the back of them have a, a stitched timpalenti.com. Uh, Jeff Johnson, I, I I don't understand the the thinking of a campaign that keeps Trump at arm's length, 
but then tries to throw some chum into the water so that the rubes will think, oh, okay, well, then he's kind of on board because he's aping, he's mimicking, he's parroting, make America great again. Uh, any Republican candidate running for governor in the state of Minnesota will be strongly pro-mining in an environmentally responsible way. They leave that right. last half out. Uh, it, it seemed to me that if Tim Pawlenty is our candidate, that is a foreshadowing of the sort of tone-deaf things that don't work anymore. Um, somebody whose name people would know, and I'm not to, about to say, said he's running a good campaign if it was 1992. It, there's, there's an authenticity problem here, it seems to me, and bombarding people with television and radio ads and direct mailers doesn't seem to me to be able to move the needle as to why ultimately one should support him as opposed to you. People know you. You've been in the public eye. Um, you put in very good results in 2014, I think that's something that isn't emphasized enough. Given the strength of Mark Dayton, you got 45%. And I don't want to relitigate the past, but I think you're right. The the baggage of eight years, I haven't seen any indication from you know MZA that they know how to message against $400,000 worth of well-done, vicious attack ads by Better Minnesota. And if the campaign is about Tim in the past, then we lose. But I'm wondering if you had any opinion, since I've express mine about those make mining great again caps well i i think that you hit it right on the head and it fits in with the, the whole cap idea he's he's not running a campaign that fits 2018 uh, tim was a good candidate in 2002 but he is different and the electorate is dramatically different in 2018 and donald trump is largely responsible for that there is now a different expectation People want candidates who are going to be really straightforward, who are going to tell you exactly what they think, even if you don't agree with them. They don't want talking points. They don't want these, you know, clever little uh, caps that make people think, well, I support Donald Trump, but maybe I don't. It kind of depends upon which crowd I'm talking to. And I think that is really a fundamental difference in, in who we are and how we're running the campaign. And in fact, we just had a, a forum. It's the only thing he's shown up at with me in the entire campaign thus far because it was a closed-door meeting with the Freedom Club and media wasn't allowed in. And, it's a, you know, he had to go because it was a, a lot of potential donors. And one of the questions was, where are you on mining? And Tim gave a three-minute answer that was kind of somewhat incoherent. And I said, I'm going to support copper and nickel mining and I'm going to move it forward as governor. This is what people want. They want somebody who's going to give a straight answer, not dance around the issues. The, the days of, you know, having your 12 talking points and never straying from them are really over. I just don't think you can win a general election with that method. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think it's uh, perfectly valid to, to comment in a primary season um, about the relative strengths and weaknesses of both candidates. Both Jeff and Tim have strengths and weaknesses. The voters have to sort of assess for themselves, it seems to me, ladies and gentlemen, who can best get us over the finish line in November. And I don't see nearly the uh, dragging effect of your years in public service, Jeff, as I do with Governor Puente's, uh let alone uh, being a lobbyist uh, for the banks. And we're not people who demonize people who make money. Knock yourself out. That That's fine. That's totally not the point. Let me ask you. Do you think you're going to have a public debate with Tim Pawlenty between now and August 14th? We are going to propose, or or maybe the parties. I'm not sure who's going to. Not the that. party, please. Not the party. 
I, uh, my goal is to propose multiple debates. I know that there are others who have proposed some, and we haven't had any luck with that yet. So we're going to work with, you know, some entities to propose three or four. If I can get one or two that's public, uh, I will be thrilled with that. I am doubtful, to be honest with you. I mean, his strategy really has been to do some sort of event once or twice a week and get some media coverage, and that's about it. And again, if you, you know, we saw that up in Duluth with the Trump rally. He was asked, "Are you going up?" a few days before, and he said, "Well." We're trying to figure out what the roles and expectations are. In other words, if I'm featured, I'll go. And if not, I'm not going to. And the value for me was meeting all those voters before the president even showed up. I mean, that's what we've got to do. That's right. We've got to get out there. And, I, you know, I met 8,000 people that day, many of whom, probably most of whom, are going to vote. A lot of them weren't Republicans. Mm-hmm. A lot of Trump's people aren't, aren't you know, party people. They that's are right. just... Americans that's and right. Minnesotans, and if that's right. you know, if if the thought is I'm going to kind of get into a crouch because we think we're ahead based on money and name recognition, it doesn't work. No, I think that's exactly right. Jeff Johnson, where can Sue Jeffers' uh, listening audience go to contribute their time or their money in your effort? Johnsonforgovernor.org. You can sign up to volunteer there. Uh, you can just sign up to get email updates. Um, I can tell you we are, you know, I'm going to get swamped by money, swamped with money by Tim, and uh, we're going to win because of the grassroots army we have on the ground. So if you have any interest, sign up to make a few phone calls or walk in a parade or something because we need you, and that's going to be the difference between winning and losing in August. Outstanding, Jeff. I really appreciate you taking the time away from campaigning today to speak to Sue Jeffers' audiences, uh, audience, and I hope to have you back on again. All my best. Thanks, John. You bet. You've been listening to the Sue Jeffers Radio Show, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. I'm John Gilmore sitting in for Our Lady of the Airwaves. Uh, Thanks to Jeff Johnson for calling in. Thanks to Kim Crockett of the Center of the American Experiment, who was on at the top of the hour. Uh, I have Al, who would like to talk about the gubernatorial race. Al, thank you for calling the Sue Jeffers Show. You're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. You bet. I was just kind of wondering, you know, plenty, he's not going to get the endorsement. But if he runs as an independent... Uh, you mean, I'm sorry, Al, you mean he's not going to win the primary? Yeah, right. Okay. I don't think so, but anyhow... Well, why don't you think that, if I can ask? Well, anyone that I know, uh, he didn't do a good job in the past, and I don't see him doing a good job in the future. Okay. And, uh, well, who gave us uh, uh, Mark Dayton? Uh, who ran as an independent? Was that Emmer? No, Tom Emmer ran as the endorsed Republican candidate and lost by an excruciating 8,000 votes. Oh, okay. I thought he ran as an independent. No, no. Who was, this, who, who was it that ran as an independent? Are you thinking of Jesse Ventura, Al? No, no, no. <clears throat> but anyhow, I just want to make a comment that uh, if Plenty does run as an independent, he's going to do nothing but hurt the Republican Party. And I just want to see what you thought about that, and I'll leave you sure. alone now. Well, no, let me ask you a question because I'm, I'm not quite sure, and this is helpful. If you don't mind me asking, what what leads you to think that Governor Plenty would run as an independent? Maybe I've missed something on it. 
Just asking you. Well, I kind of thought I heard that uh, if he didn't get the endorsement. You mean the primary? Uh, the primary, yeah. He he would run as an independent. I, I haven't and, heard that. Um, and what would you think if he did, Al? I think it would be uh, devastating. You know, I, <laughs> I don't think it'd be a very good thing. So, in other words, and I, I really am not trying to put words in your in your mouth, Al. So, is it that you think if Johnson was the Republican candidate and Tim Pawlenty ran as an independent, that it would tip the field to whoever the Democrats end up with as their candidate? That's what I'm thinking. And that's what I'm wondering mm -hmm. if it could happen. Right. Do you have any thoughts on who the Democrats should uh, nominate for their governor and lieutenant governor? No, I don't. Okay. Well, I hadn't heard that, Al, and it would be an interesting development. It calls into question when the filing deadlines are for uh, independent uh, candidates, and I don't have that at the tip of my fingers. But thanks very much for your phone call. It's appreciated, and thank you for listening, Al. Well, thanks for listening to me. You thanks. bet. Take care. Well, that was interesting. I hadn't heard that before, ladies and gentlemen. I, you know, comes as something as a surprise to me that uh, – Tim Pawlenty would consider running as an independent, if in fact that is even uh, an option, uh, and I, I'm just not certain about those uh, filing deadlines. Maybe uh, if somebody uh, happens to know that, they could call into the show at 651-989-5855. My, my, my gut, for what it's worth, tells me that Governor Plenty isn't running as an independent. He was a Republican governor for two terms. Um, I try to be fair to people, and it wouldn't seem to be in keeping um, with his political identity, I, I think he's proud of being a Republican. He's a particular type of Republican. But people would say he's a Republican that managed to get elected to the uh, governor's mansion on Summit Avenue twice. And that's not to be taken away from him. So um, you can disagree with people and, and have other candidates you prefer. But I try to be fair. Um, I don't like to not give people their due or to take uh, – things out of context in order to to advance a particular argument or point. I don't think Tim Pawlenty would do that, but I've been proven wrong on so many things so many times that uh, it wouldn't surprise me if I was wrong yet again. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to close out the show. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for all the callers and guests with uh, a few reflections on the state of our nation. It's great in many ways. It's fantastic with the economy that uh, President Trump has unleashed. Uh, foreign policy seems to be very strong. Trade is being reshaped. I know there's a lot of nervousness in different quarters, not just in the Republican Party. When it comes to trade, soybeans, steel, cars, and various tariffs, uh, I do like when the president is asked about a trade war, and he just kind of laughs and says, the trade war was lost decades ago. And that's exactly right. What he's trying to do is to claw back some of those terrible losses, the Republicans, the Democrats, the Uniparty, the corporate interests, the bankers, the globalists. I know you're going to think, is this Alex Jones on Infowars? No, but it's true. And the decimation was plain to see if you traveled the upper Midwest and the Rust Belt. And Trump looked at an America and said it doesn't have to be this way. So there's really a lot to be uh, optimistic about. Here comes the but. But Lord... The reaction from the left against Trump and his supporters, I think it threatens the wheels to come off the societal bus. 
They don't want compromise, ladies and gentlemen. They don't want a middle ground. They want total, complete, and utter victory. And they'll go to almost any lengths in order to achieve that. I think it's naive for anyone in politics or those who are following it closely to think that things are now as they used to be. They're not. There's been a rupture. There's something profoundly wrong in our country, and many people are seeking actively, viciously, sometimes in a deadly way, to exploit that. There isn't going to be any compromise until the side that lost the election realizes that the legitimacy of the country, of our democracy, of our social contract, requires not trying to tear it apart at the seams simply because your side lost. Up until 2016, we seem to be able to have done that, more or less. I don't recall all of the people I know in Minnesota who voted for John McCain getting bent out of shape and trying to burn stuff down and throw a fit. And I don't remember the many people that I know who voted for Mitt Romney doing the same when he lost. That was a very disappointing loss. We'd had four years of Obama. We knew what he was about. We didn't care for it. Thank you very much. And I think uh, Donald Trump was right. He shouldn't have lost that election. But you've got, you know, career politicians, timid, focus-grouped, photoshopped, you know, consultant class-driven. Uh, they really weren't looking out for you. Uh, but Trump was, and he is. The reality, though, is we see people driven from their places of employment because they have the wrong politics. Uh, press spokeswoman Sarah, Sand Sarah Huckabee Sanders, driven from uh, the Red Hen restaurant in Virginia. Um, I had to laugh. Uh, my friend Barbara Molsacker said on Twitter, oh, the food isn't that good. <laughs> if you know Barbara, you know that's a perfect uh, comment because uh, I would take her judgment in food on the East Coast uh, or the Eastern Seaboard anywhere. Um, but these are the stakes, and we need to be aware that things aren't what they used to be. We need to support each other no matter where we fall on the spectrum center right. We have to be unified. We have to have each other's backs. Um, that's why Jennifer Carnahan's comments are so very damaging. They're ruinous. And uh, I hope to God that tomorrow isn't a disaster and that things can be done to put things back together again. Because whatever flavor or kind of Republican that you are, ladies and gentlemen, we need to unite against a left that wants to radically transform America, whether it's open borders and flooding America with the third world, import the third world, become the third world. They're fine with it. A dependent class, they'll always vote for them, and Republicans will never take the White House again. Uh, the stakes are consequential, and they're exceedingly high. So I guess what I'm trying to say in closing out, thank you to Sue Jeffers for having me on, and thanks to Stan for yet another, uh, you never see the work behind the scenes. I guess what I'm trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, is that no matter what our divisions are on the red team, we have to get past them once the dates have come and gone, once the markers have been met, and it has to continue on past November as well. Winning is just the beginning, as you've seen with President Trump. We have to stay the course, and we have to fight to continue to make America great again. I'm John Gilmore, in for Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Thank you for listening.